0: Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? It must be that happy time
1: again. That's right. It's time to register for NDC London, January 28th to February 1st. Back in the
0: QE2 Conference Center in Westminster.
1: Yep. And there's a great lineup of speakers. And of course, Scott Hanselman is coming back. And our friend Tess Ferrandez. So go to ndc-london.com to register. And if that isn't awesome enough ndc is coming to portugal the new show is coming to porto february 26th to
0: march 1st two days of workshops and two days of conference so go to ndcporto.com to register before december 31st and get early bird pricing and
1: get this ndc is also coming to copenhagen march 27th through 29th at dgibn it's two days of workshops and a one-day conference go to
0: ndcmini.com to learn more .NET Rocks episode 699 with guest Jay Schmelzer. Recorded live Thursday, September 1st, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik
2: and by Franklin's.NET, training developers to work smarter and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net.
1: And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl and Richard here for your DotNet enjoyment. Jay Schmelzer's coming up in just a few minutes. But first, hey, man, how are you?
0: Howdy, howdy, howdy. I'm good. I'm great. It's, you know, build is done. We're in a good place, and all is right in the world. That, yeah, all is right. Did you love time-shifting? I do. We're recording before Build, but we're publishing after Build, so, you know, obviously the reality has
1: changed. <laughs> hey, let's get right into Better No Framework. All right, so I've been talking about HTML5 tags. Here's an interesting one, the Ruby tag. No, it's not what you think. Not, not Ruby? It's not for putting Ruby on Rails things in there for some <laughs> reason. Okay. I don't know why you would need that. <laughs> but, uh, no, it turns out Ruby annotations are used in East Asia to show the pronunciation of East Asian characters. Interesting. Together with the RT and or the RP tags. So a Ruby element consists of one or more characters that needs an explanation or pronunciation, and an RT element that gives that information, and optionally an RP element that defines what to show browsers that don't support the Ruby tag. And it is supported in all five major browsers. And there you go. That's it new. is supported for all of them. Okay. Yeah. That's new in HTML5. Cool. Interesting.
0: Hey, who's talking to us, Richard? I've got a comment from show 694, which was Carrie uh, Hamill talking about Gadgets. Mm-hmm. This is from Michael Flanagan. And he says, in Better Know a Framework, you mentioned browser detection. If this browser do this, if that browser do that. Right. With respect to the key gen element only being in three of the five major browsers. Yep. The way we handle this scenario is with feature detection. There are four different ways to do feature detection. For keygen specifically, you could use if name in document dot create element sub keygen. Okay. Of course, there is more to this story, but you should definitely consider covering this in a future better know framework, if not a full episode on feature detection, polyfills and fallbacks and conditional resource loading. Very Great good. Great idea. Awesome. Those interested in learning more about HTML5, including feature detection, can check out html5today.codeplex.com, which is an HTML5 demo and training app I'm working on to ramp others up on HTML5. Oh,
1: that's the app's great.
0: in rough state, but what new one person project isn't?
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks for correcting me there. And, uh, that sounds like a very helpful resource for anyone learning HTML5.
0: And definitely a good idea for a show just to focus on this whole issue. Certainly so we've brought it up over and over again. Yep. And, you know, we're battling with the right way to do things. So it might be a great conversation. Michael, thank you. Great contribution. I am sending a mug to you. Woo. And if you'd like one, you can do what Michael did and add some information to our repertoire or tell us about a show idea or just tell us how much we like Carl's new album. And uh, we'll fire a mug off to you. You can do
1: it on .netrocks.com or send us an email, .netrocks at franklin's.net. And hey, uh, uh, Infusion Development just hired a .netrocks listener in the Krakow office in Poland. And they also have an office in Rocklaw, W-R-O-C-L-A-W. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, they, they're needing to hire a lot of people quickly over there. Infusion Development, uh, they're a friend of ours for been a long-time friend. Nick Landry, of course, works for them. Greg Brill is their CEO, just a very interesting and creative guy. And uh, they're based in New York City. They have offices in London, Toronto, Dubai, and uh, New York as well. So if you're interested in changing careers and working for a very progressive, good, fun company, um, send me an email, carl at franklins.net, and I'll hook you up. Well, this is going to be a great show because in a in a post-build world, light switch is a very important technology. So uh, I'd like to introduce Jay Schmelzer again to .NET Rocks, the Schmelz as we call him. Uh, Jay is Director of Program Management on the Visual Studio team at Microsoft, Jay and his team are responsible for the Visual Studio design time tools and runtime components used to build applications that leverage Microsoft Office client and server products. Many of the Visual Studio features vital to -to end-to-end application development experience, including data design time, building and consuming WCF services and deployment, as well as the application programmability and extensibility available in Visual Studio tools for applications. Prior to joining Microsoft, Jay was a partner with a leading consulting firm, and specialized in the design and development of enterprise apps. Jay has authored several articles and books on application development and is a frequent speaker at conferences. Welcome back, Jay.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Congratulations, my friend. Yeah, you shipped it. It's a couple—I mean, the congratulations are a couple of months late, but congratulations.
2: Thanks. Yeah, it, it was a pretty exciting, uh, pretty exciting ride there up till the end, but. We got her out the door, which is awesome.
0: Yeah, that's something. And and uh, I'll, actually, a really long ride. I was just thinking about how long I knew the code name Kitty Hawk mm. before uh, it actually is now truly a product.
2: Yeah, you were one of the few that actually ever learned that name. I think.
0: Yeah, so. and and saw some early
1: incarnations of it as well. And Jay, my perception of Kitty Hawk, of Light Switch, really changed from when we were just starting to talk to it to when I saw the first beta to when I saw it in Visual Studio and uh, and now, of course, at Build. Can you walk us through a little bit of um, sort of the history of what uh, the, the goal of Light Switch has always been and then how uh, the different forms that it took? Certainly. And where we are today? Certainly.
2: Yeah, you know, Light Switch was has always been about addressing a, an opportunity we have in the, the Microsoft tooling stack for business application developers. Um, or initially that, that opportunity was just around the, the fact that we had a gap between productivity oriented tools like Excel and Access that were targeted at, you know, end user developers and end users to build simple applications, pr- primarily for themselves, maybe for their, their small work group. Um, to, to make them more productive, and then Visual Studio, the you know, the, the central kind of cockpit of, of all development for, for pro developers. Um, and there was a big gap between those in terms of capabilities, sophistication of the tool, uh, and complexity of the tool, and, and we wanted to go and, and address that, that opportunity. Once we started doing it um, and going down that path, we, we spent a lot of time talking to folks um, looking at the trends that were going on in the industry and recognizing that while wow, this this end user developer, this business end user developer person, uh, and the kinds of applications they're going to build is is just increasing um, over time. I mean, we, we've got new people coming into the workforce. They're coming in with a a much greater comfort with technology uh, and mm-hmm. software and higher expectations of what those things can do for them. Yeah. Uh, and how they can make their lives easier and and that's putting more and more demands on the big enterprise i t groups to to try to meet those needs and 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 they just can't they don't have the resources to to satisfy every one of those requests so we wanted to create an a a tool an experience that this end user business developer would feel comfortable uh walking into and and building a solution they needed to, and the i t guys would feel comfortable taking those applications and uh, potentially supporting them and maintaining them and growing them forward, you know, in the future as the needs of the business grew because we built it on a set of technologies that that pro dev uh, understood
1: and was comfortable with. And we should also mention that pro, pro developers who might not think about light switch because it might, you know, be considered sort of toyish also are, are liking light switch a lot because, uh, because there's enough control. And I think, you know, that it's the classic trade off between features and control and you know, productivity and and complexity. And the complexity is so reduced yet uh, the the extensibility points that are published in um, in a light switch application allow a developer to do all the stuff that developers like to do in applications.
2: Absolutely. That's one of the one of the other big goals we had for the product was to well, putting it bluntly not invent anything new in terms of of frameworks and runtimes and things like that right. instead build on a set of established technologies established frameworks and established practices and design right. patterns that professional developers had had created over the years so when we show this to a professional developer and they start and we start tearing kind of tearing it apart and looking at the coverage they realize that we did basically exactly what they would have done uh, early on when we disclosed the product, the team put together a, a series of articles on, a, on our team blog that went into the details of the architecture of a light switch app. And to right. this day, it's probably still one of the more popular series on the blog. But we found that that was a great way of communicating and, and talking with the, the professional developer. And the feedback we got from them was, yeah, this is this is cool. This is what I, I would do. And, and I... I'm I'm comfortable with, with having folks use this tool for the kinds of applications it was intended for.
1: You know, in a way, it sort of reminds me of that aha moment I had in Visual Basic 1.0 where the extensibility points were as button click, you know, and scroll bar scroll. And we thought that was awesome because it totally simplified the user interface problems that we were having. And now, we're, with LightSwitch, we're doing the same thing, except that the complexity we're solving is just all of the goo and the architecture of technologies that Microsoft has invented and thrown at us that that we've had to sort out ourselves. But the extensibility points are still there, and I can't stress that enough, developers. That this isn't—it's not going to get in your way. It's going to reduce the amount of code that you need to write. But you will also not give up the control that you need.
2: Yeah, and we've we've since since we launched the product, we've done a, a few things specifically for targeted at the the existing Visual Studio Professional audience um, to make to help them do those extensions. So we put out a an extension toolkit uh, that you can it, that is available via the Visual Studio Gallery. You can download it into Visual Studio Professional, Premium, or Ultimate, and and it brings with it a set of project templates uh, for giving you starter points for creating mm-hmm. these custom extensions, whether they be themes, shells, business types, data, you know, data sources, those kind of things. Um, will give you a starting point uh, for getting going and 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 creating those extensions.
0: So, what are the extensibility points? Where would people typically write code straight up in .NET to work with a Silverlight
2: app? Yeah, what well, we're finding there. The most common ones app, we're seeing today are at the data source level. So we're seeing folks create, well, we're seeing some of the, the component providers and our, our ISV partners actually create uh, Entity Framework or ADO.NET providers for different data sources like uh, QuickBooks or I've, even see, I've seen some out there for Facebook nice. and, and RSS feeds that you can use, uh, at which point that gives you the ultimate flexibility of interacting with that data source in LightSwitch. Uh, kind of corporate developers, we're seeing them go build WCF-REA services to front-end a set of existing database, data backends or data services they have in their environment, uh, and expose them in the light switch. So that's a common place where we're seeing people just write straight, you know, .NET code. On the other side, uh, again, component partners, uh, we're seeing expose their UI controls, their UI widgets through a set of custom, uh, control packs where they can be available in the Light Switch Designers, starting to look into the idea of, of wrapping them into a screen template as well. So you just you know, pick the My Favorite Component Partner detail screen, and it already uses all of their underlying uh, custom controls and so forth as part of the, that UI. Mm-hmm. And then the other the, the other big piece we're seeing today is around themes and shells, so getting the application to look radically different. Uh, right. We actually we actually put out a theme example uh, with the source code just recently that that allows you to turn the the office and OneNote style look of a, a default light switch application into something that is more of that Metro inspired. You know, if you've used the desktop Zoom client, it, it makes that app look a lot more like like the Zoom, the Zoom client uh, just by applying a theme to it. So,
0: so can I take any existing Light Switch app and just apply a different theme to it and it should just work?
2: Absolutely. That's pretty freaky. That's the idea. That's the idea, exactly. You know, now we'll see as we keep going, we'll see people do things around themes a little bit more around the shell, which is the big outer Chrome, where they will actually create shells that aren't going to work for every type of application. Um, but that's just one where, you know, you can go, you'll grab it, you'll apply it to your application, realize that it was designed to only work with maybe three individual screens and say, oh, that's not appropriate for me, and just switch back to a different one. It mm-hmm. um, doesn't leave any effects on your, on your light switch application.
1: This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, makers of RAD controls for Silverlight. Stop writing all that code. Let someone else do it for you. Check it out. This is what they guarantee, performance, as you manage data in grid view. Rich, sleek data visualization with their chart, gauge, map, and time bar controls, and more. Seamless data interactivity with a variety of input controls, including rich text box. And intuitive navigation with their menu, tree view, breadcrumb, and time bar controls. You want to check it out? You get a free 60-day trial. Just go to Telerik.com slash SilverlightDNR. Remember that? Teleric.com/silverlightdnr. Download your 60-day trial and don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET rocks all these years. You give us an example, Jay, of how uh, you know I would implement business logic. Um, you know, to I don't know, do a calculation or, or a restriction or some kind of constraint um, in a light switch application.
2: Certainly, um, <clears throat> there's really. There are really three places where as a light switch developer you'll you'll write code as part of your application uh, on the front end you, you can write code that is just straight silver light code to, to interact with and control the kind of UI flow of the application so maybe you want to programmatically bring up um, a certain screen given some values that that exist in the view model um, or given a button click or something like that you can you know you can do those kind of things just to navigate through the view model in terms of business logic, uh, most of that will happen either in the data tier or the business tier, so it's just straight uh, .NET framework code, and you interact with light switch through a set through what we refer to as a query pipeline. So as data is moving into and out of the database or the data source, we give you what feel like events to interact with that, that data and apply your logic. So you, you have things like inserting, inserted, updating, updated, deleting, deleted, right, where you can go and write your code, to apply your business rules um you know validate values and so forth
1: and and let's let let's say that in an insert inserting you find something that raises a flag that says this can't be inserted maybe you're in the middle of a of a transaction maybe there's several UI things that have to be reset how easy is it to do that kind of thing it's it's
2: trivial what we what we actually will give you in those events is the ability to to add a add into a collection of errors um, for that for that flow and once we see an error we will we will kick back out right effectively throw an exception back through our stack um, all the way back to the to the client we'll roll back the transaction for you show your error message to to the client let them you know the end user allow them to interact with and go submit it back in
1: so it's basically as easy as just putting an error in a in a collection that's yep, it
2: exactly um the, the third piece of code that you would write around the validation things is when we talk specifically about validations, you know, writ, values need to be within a certain range or uh, I think uh, Billy Hollis who has been on your show a number of times. His favorite is the example of, you know, number of children must be greater than or equal to zero, right? Can't have negative kids. Uh, right. <laughs> um, you know, those kind of rules. And you would write and associate with the actual um, business entity itself, right? The, the data element. Uh, and that code actually is, is gonna execute both in the client to get a really rich feedback loop to the end user and in the service layer, uh, so that we can ensure that we're, you know, not trusting the only client talking to that service is, is the light switch one. Um, so we'll, we'll automatically execute that code in both places for you. And that's also where we do computed properties. So we have the notion of a computed value, uh, where you can just write the code that, um, needs to actually compute that value and we at runtime will determine which other which, what was involved in the computation, so that when we see um, an element of the computation changed, we will automatically kick off a recalculation of the of your computed property. If that makes sense. So this is everything from you know uh, a common way I've I've used it in the past is to create a sort of summary value. So maybe I want to when I show a customer I actually want to by default when I just see the customer I want to see the the company name, and then I want to see a a quick indication of their account status. Are they paid up or not? uh, And maybe a primary contact name. I want to just kind of put all those things together in in sort of one value. I'll create a computer property that will kind of concatenate all those values together. And then if any of them change while I'm looking at at that customer, we would see that automatically kick in um, and update the summary value for me.
0: Awesome. And always Silverlight. So this is the client technology we're gonna stick with now. It's Silverlight all the way.
2: So the, well, Le- the light switch client that we have in, in the 2011 product is a is a Silverlight 4 based client. That's okay. correct.
0: Because I know Silverlight 5 is almost imminent, so I presume you'll you'll switch to that as well.
2: I I a little early for me to commit on exactly what we're doing. We recently put up a, a user voice forum for, mm-hmm. for folks to give us feedback in a in a very open way. I can tell you that we were ver- looking very closely at the top things that have come through there um, and uh, pretty motivated to uh, to address a number of the top things that are in there And HTML. Having an HTML5 client, client is certainly something we get asked about a lot. Right?
0: Yeah, I bet. That was, that, that was my next question. So what about HTML5?
2: Yeah, and I think what's, what's neat and interesting about the way LightSwitch approaches development, it's as the LightSwitch customer, you don't... You don't really realize this. As a professional developer, when you look at it, you will realize that what we're doing is model-based development. Light Switch is building up a model that describes Mm -hmm. your application, and then we translate that into code that runs on the framework and so forth. So it gives us the opportunity to layer in different technologies as appropriate. So we could add in a new presentation stack like HTML5 um, and in a lot of ways get you pretty close to having your application kind of go because we'll go translate that into the appropriate, you know, platform specific stack, uh, for you. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that, you know, I think now that we've, we've gone through build and, and folks are thinking about where they want to invest technology wise in the future, it, it does help you think about how light switch applies to that and the fact that, you know, this, this investment in code in the back end and the data layer and the business logic layer, um, you know, that, that server layer is going to, you know, is still obviously the, the way of going in the future, right? Yeah. There aren't yes. a lot of questions about that.
0: I just took a quick peek at the at the forum, and number one on the list is a report designer. Isn't that awesome? We still <laughs> need reports. We still need paper. We still
2: want reports. We still want paper. Oh, I mean, the, the 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 role of the report is definitely changing. We're seeing them much more interactive now. Um, but that's, that's definitely something, these, you know, as a business app, you still... You still need to view your data in a you know, in a pretty regular fashion in a in a structured way, mm-hmm. right? And so Yeah, that one's that one's a bit of a challenge for us still. But well, because uh,
0: Silverlight's got challenges with printing in general.
2: Yeah. Fortunately we have some some partners out there that have some great reporting solutions that are available already for Light Switch V one. Awesome. Um so there there are some answers out there for folks right now, just not one in the box yet.
1: Well will any Silverlight um tool work in Light Switch? Can I drop it in like I can in a Silverlight app?
2: Yeah, I mean it's, you know, Light Switch is, is very composable um, right with all layers of the, of the solution, so incorporating in a custom Silverlight control, whether it be a, a control like a, a text box or a grid or a user control that kind of represents an entire screen, uh, those things are all straightforward to plug into Lightswitch as the developer of the custom control you're just using standard Silverlight data binding to interact with Light Switch's view model and get that data presented uh, in your UI. So everything you knew about building with Silverlight, those those skills just carry forward when you're doing custom things
1: for Light Switch in the UI. So if you have a Silverlight uh, report viewer, you know, that like .net or something, you might be able to widget that in.
2: Uh, yep. And actually, some of those guys have done some special things to make it even easier. Um So, for example, the Developer Express guys took their reporting solution and and have a a special version for LightSwitch that understands LightSwitch's view model and and query pipeline. So it makes it really easy to to author a report and get it hooked into the LightSwitch environment. That's great. Yeah.
1: And
0: it's good to see that community building up around it as well. You know, this product feels to me like Visual Basic 1 did.
1: That's what Mm -hmm. I'm thinking in the
0: beginning because it was teased mercilessly and we ate everybody's lunch. Totally. You know, I ran around and was able to bid on software development projects at half the price and I made twice as much and in less time.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, I think the, there was a lot of that,
3: Yeah,
2: I won't lie. That was certainly an aspiration for me was to to have that same kind of success around the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we're not there yet, but, you know, the partners we have right now, I think, are, are are very happy with the results they've seen already. I know I've been getting text messages from some of them. Nice. On the first day we were available, saying, hey, we're, we're selling licenses already. Like, mm. said, that's good. What would you expect?
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: well, it won't be long, Jay. That's my feeling. <laughs> and, and, and especially, I think, I think once uh, developers get over the, you know the initial reaction you know why would i look at that you know look at it the, even if you're joe pipeline you know down in the dirt kind of close to the metal developer just look at it
2: you know that actually yeah. that's actually a reaction we get quite often is um you know once the once you take some time and look at this thing you you start to get an appreciation for how it fits into your tool belt right mm. as a professional developer it is not the tool for every application you're going to build, not by any stretch, right? right. But as a professional developer, you use lots of tools right, to, to get your job done. And it's important, I think, to to, to just be aware of it and, and think about how you apply it to your to your own personal tool belt.
0: And if you own a copy of Visual Studio, you own a copy of Light Switch, right?
2: Totally. Yeah, Visual Studio, Professional, Premium, or Ultimate, with an MSDN subscription, which basically everybody with those would, uh, you already have a license to Light Switch. You just need to download it and it will install right into your existing Visual Studio environment.
1: Just another template. Yep. That's what I was talking about is the differences between when I first saw it. When I first saw it, I was looking at the Light Switch uh, developer environment, which is different. And then I saw Beth Massey uh, showed it to me in Visual Studio, and I was like, hmm, well, that's interesting.
2: Yeah, er- well, actually, yeah, early, early on, we had some kind of different ways of looking at the Light Switch environment on its own. Now, if you just buy Light Switch, you get... Just Lightswitch, the project, you know, environment, and you know, you're sitting inside of a Visual Studio, the same Visual Studio shell, but you don't have all of the other project types available to you.
1: Yeah, it's um, sort of a simplified UI.
2: Exactly, exactly. Trying yeah. to streamline it down to just what what Lightswitch does. Whereas, you know, you you see me using it in Visual Studio Ultimate, and it's just a, a set of project templates. Effectively, everything else is still there. Right. All the other commands are still available to me. Hey Jay, what I do you like say to
0: people who say this should be in office rather than in studio?
3: Uh,
2: you know, it's a great, it's a great question, and it's a great discussion to have. I mean, it's it's certainly we're we're looking. We have to find a way of of reaching a different audience than Visual Studio traditionally does with a product like Lightswitch. Mm-hmm. And you know, the initial reaction is, well, you know, you mentioned in describing the. The opportunity space, you mentioned things from office like Excel and Access. Yeah. Well should you just go do that? It's like, well, you know, it that that's an initial thought, but again, I still think it's actually it's not quite those, right? Because it's it is a little more sophisticated than what you can do with something like, you know, an Excel or an Access. And those are great products, don't get me wrong. I you know, I use them every day. Mm-hmm. And they're great at what they're about. But we decided that you know something like Night Switch to build a, a light switch app, code is going to come into your experience. You're going to write some code right. um, as part of building your light switch app. So we felt it was better to, to s- associate a little bit more with the developer brand of Visual Studio um, to set that expectation correctly.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, We'll see. Um, you know, never say never to, to interesting ideas of how we bring those two things together. Um, and we'll probably try some things over the next you know couple years as we're trying to find the right way to reach this audience. Um, well, and like I said,
0: it is Rev One.
2: Yes, there will be more, and I'm
0: sure things are going
2: to evolve. Yes, there will absolutely be more.
0: And I and I see uh, that it's there's new support for. Well, actually, let's talk about the cloud in general and Azure specifically, yep. because SQL Azure is an accepted data type for for Lightswitch.
2: Absolutely, SQL Azure is an accepted data type to consume. So if you already have your data in SQL Azure, you can leverage that data in a new Lightswitch application. And what we added in the second beta of Light Switch and is, obvious, and is thus still available in the final product is the ability to create a Light Switch application and deploy it to Windows and SQL Azure. Nice. Uh, so, you know, we will deploy your server into an a Azure web role. We'll deploy your database into a SQL Azure instance. Uh, and now you have all of your data up, you know, your data and applications available in the cloud leveraging, you know, the infrastructure and, and that that you get from from the Azure environment
1: it just works. Yeah. So so Jay um is light switch programmable? In other words, can I programmatically write an a light switch application?
2: Ooh, great question. So could I build an app that built a light switch app? That's that kind right. Kind of thing. That's one area we didn't we didn't do work to intentionally expose a lot of that um in the first release. Uh a lot of that was because it was a V1 and we in all honesty, wanted to give ourselves some flexibility to to adapt as we got feedback. Um, okay. And the more of that we opened up, the harder it would be to to ensure we weren't going to cause somebody some pain. Yeah, um, sure. So there's not a, a great supported API for doing that. Uh, that said, an, a, a a developer with uh, with some desire could probably quickly figure out what the model needs to look like hmm. um, and start feeding into
1: it a little bit. So. So I mean ultimately, you're writing XAML and code, right
2: Well, so what you'd be doing is you know you're authoring a textual representation of the application right so it's an x m l. format it's a it's actually a XAML dialect um, right. and then feeding that into the light switch project system which which then creates uh the net code that you need to to actually you know instantiate that application right if that makes sense, so yeah
1: so it it could be done if you know what XAml to write and and all that, but you know yeah. like you said you could you could reverse engineer it and and use some templates and some code gen and try to figure it out
2: yeah you could you could try to figure it out and can't guarantee you that it'll keep working next time
1: um, yeah <laughs> it right. wouldn't
2: change the stuff on you but
1: um it's an interesting idea though, because I've I've always had this, you know, fantasy of walking up to a computer and having a conversation with it either visually or with my you, you know, speaking and spitting out a business application with rules and everything. And I you know, I think you with Light switch we're one step closer to that.
2: That's yeah, certainly. Yeah. You've been watching Minority Report again, haven't you?
1: <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Uh, that's kidding. so much bigger than minority report I it
2: certainly is it certainly is you're right no it's an interesting you know we certainly think about light switch as you know there's some foundational components that that we created as part of the light switch experience that we certainly feel can, can be applied to a lot of interesting um business development scenarios and mm. and front end with a lot of great experiences to make it you know even easier to produce these these kinds of applications
0: yeah well, and I'm really thinking about this being a great tool for tablet and mobile development as well.
3: Hmm. Yeah.
2: Certainly something we're seeing being more prevalent as a device in in the business world, mm-hmm. right? Um, so as a target of a light switch application, that's certainly something we're thinking about um, quite, quite seriously.
0: Well, as we start seeing real Windows tablets in the right form factor, I'm just saying, you know, it staggers me that the, that reporting is such a critical issue still, because it just speaks back to this idea that we're still doing business the old way. And mm-hmm. once you start thinking that more, you know, tablet as the Star Trek clipboard kind of thing, you're going to print less and less. And I want my app to show me that things in that form factor. Uh, I want the least amount of stress to get there.
2: Yeah, you want things to be, you, you start wanting things to be very tailored to what you're trying to do, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the things that we see from a lot of the, you know, the apps that people are building on those kinds of devices today. They're very purpose-built, right? They're, they're much smaller. You go in and out of a lot of smaller apps throughout the course of your day to right. get your task done, and they're really good at that task. They're very tailored to what you're trying to do, and so that's certainly something we're thinking about, you know, as we're thinking about, okay, how, what does, that, how does that evolve in the business application space?
1: At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over eleven hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight Four, or fourteen hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only six ninety five. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.Net rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net.
0: And I think when you think about the Metro UI, it's not just the UI, it's the metaphor. It's this idea of animated or intelligent tiles that are like a dashboard for your app, giving you hints that there's things going on there you want to look at that then you fly into to see more detail and explore, you know, beyond just data analysis type roles, but actually knowing what actions to take, what customer support to do. Like, I just, I get a warm fuzzy about a CRM app that's like that, that just prompts you for directions mm. you need to go in using those UI metaphors. And it just lends itself to tablet. And I I would want Light Switch to drive that for me. That This is just this nature of, mm. you know, get me past the look and feel and into the style of app.
2: Was that a feature request
0: you just gave me? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, <think it> was. <laughs> I guess I'll write it up. After after the
1: programmability thing, all right, Jay? It's us here. <laughs> well,
0: I do have your phone number. I guess I have an inside track here. How is it? Every
2: time I talk to you guys, I end up walking away with more work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we want great things, man. That's all we want is great things. Can I have yeah, it? Just is be we- awesome.
1: That's
0: uh, great. <laughs> yeah, these are difficult. The, yeah, it's it's a hard life. I know, Jay. It, you <laughs> know, it's a it's one of these products that the more I think about it, the more I think about what else I'd like
2: to do with it. Uh, it's uh, exactly the same way I feel about it. Yeah, so. mm.
0: and it, and really, phone seven being silverlight, you, you know, just makes me think, geez, that that ought to work. That that has some possibilities there.
2: There's possibilities there. I won't deny that.
0: Well, it just it feels to me like this suddenly becomes not just a shortcut tool, but a tool that very naturally works on all of the platforms with the sort of minimum amount of fuss for that the mortal developer.
2: Yeah, the, th- the thing we're trying to do and the thing we think about a lot, when we, especially when we think about these different form factors, is, is really what is it that the customer of your application is going to want to do? What kind of interaction are right. they going to want to have with your application? Mm-hmm. And how do we leverage? I think we're really set up well because of our the way we do UI development in Light Switch is, is pattern-based, right? We, we yeah. introduce a set of patterns, you hook those to data, and then you end up with your UI and you kind of do some mon- some tweaking and modification from that point. You don't have to go from a blank canvas and figure out what you want it to look like. Mm-hmm.
3: So
2: we have the opportunity to, 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 to understand what these interaction models people are going to want to have on these different devices are and introduce these very tailored experiences in the Light Switch for creating an app that behaves the way they want it to on that device. Um, it's
1: all in the templates, man. Now, you is. know, the engine's done. Now it's all about the templates.
2: Yep. Figuring out what those new patterns are and and are they, you know, my personal opinion, I think we're going to see a lot of companion apps to start. Yep. Um, where you'll, you'll have a, a much more tailored, purpose-built companion that you have on your device that you're carrying around with you. And then, you know, your more heavy-duty data entry when you're working with a grid it's probably going to be sitting down at your PC where sure. you have a keyboard and a mouse. Um, and that's a different app, but um, you know, all, same business logic, same data model, you know, behind it. So.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, you can't beat the keyboard for input speed still. Right. Yep. It's yep. true. We, Definitely. I think we keep trying, but although honestly it's a self fulfilling prophecy, we're all very good typists. So we tend to like keyboards. You know, I wonder if we're going to have a generation that isn't great typists. That's
1: yeah, great well, question. I don't know. They got that emotive uh, headset now, you know, working with .NET. So pretty soon you might be able to just think, you know, I want a CRUD app. I want it to be the Metro theme. Uh, you know, I will need a customer record. <laughs> you know. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I like us thinking about apps and making them just happen. You that's another feature there. Another Jay. feature, okay.
1: Well, yeah. if it's programmable, then that's just one step away, you know. <laughs> but the programmability is first. So, get to work on that, Jay, all right? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm just saying.
0: Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh what about the SharePoint side of things? I remember early on there was support for SharePoint lists as a data source. Yes. Do you see some interesting apps in that area? Because it, it seemed to me that led, that was a much nicer mm. development model than working inside of SharePoint. Not that I want to diss the SharePoint guys, because plenty of people making money out there doing that. But it, this appealed to me as a non-SharePoint person, I could get at SharePoint data.
2: Yeah. So SharePoint still a first-class data source for, for Light Switch. Um, nice. Absolutely. So we can still, you know, read and write to to lists and, and things in SharePoint. Um I have definitely had a lot of conversations with folks that are looking at, at interesting ways of creating an application with LightSwitch and then deploying it effectively at a SharePoint app. Right. Um, you know, when you look at the technologies, it, we are just a, you know, a multi-tier Silverlight client, and SharePoint can host Silverlight content, right? So you're, you're not that far um, from making it work. So I, I have definitely seen people do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes a few manual steps to get it to work. Or to get it kind of configured, and installed. That, of course, gets my mind racing about. Well, what can we do? You know, what are the really interesting applications of this going forward for something like SharePoint? You know, obviously my team is responsible for the SharePoint tools and Visual Studio still for the mm-hmm. professional developer. We'll keep keep doing those. We love making sure those folks are are able to do what they want to and need to be able to do. But thinking about how how do we how do we make it even easier for um, maybe this end user business developer to to pull some custom data into SharePoint, right, um, and make it available for folks. So,
0: well, let's talk about that audience, because I mean, our audience here tends to be developers. We certainly talked about the professional developer in this so far, but you know, when I think about the success of Access and VB, and what they grew into, it made a lot of new developers out of people that weren't originally or didn't intend to be developers. Is
1: that, however? However painful it was for them.
0: And painful for us cleaning up the mess, too. Yeah. So I'm just wondering how Light Switch addresses that. Or are you seeing traction in that area?
2: We, we are seeing, you know, um, admittedly most of the people we still talk to are professional developers. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of the, the, the channel and the muscle we've built up of, of who to talk to, right? Right. Um, but I am seeing more and more folks, uh, you know, whether it's a... Actually, I was talking to, to Beth Massey the other day, who you know, does a lot of my, a lot of our kind of community and development center uh, work for Lightswitch. And she was out at a user group. And after the user group was talking to the user group coordinator and, and our owner, and he was saying, you know, of the, let's say, 40 people that we had in the room, I really only recognized, you know, 50% of them as my normal every meeting people. She's like, he's like, they were. Fifty percent of these people that I've never seen before, um, and they talked to a few of them who said, "Yeah, well, I, it sounded like something that I was I would get into and be able to help me build these applications that, I, quite honestly, I'm I'm a little intimidated to do in Visual Studio today." Um, so, just lowering that, that that barrier to entry was is something that you know we think we're we're making strides at with with Light Switch.
3: Mm-hmm. It's you
2: know, huge. Truth will be told, um, you know, it's out there a little bit longer in the market the the other aspect of this is you know when we think about the 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 way that the the things like access and stuff entered you know our lives as professional developers it was because somebody had built an app that on their own right and suddenly they were having a problem with it right and now usually at least in my prior experience that person that came to me with the app that was having a problem, I recognized them because they were somebody that had come to me before asking me to build that app for them. Right. And I told them no. I didn't have time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and this is your punishment. <laughs> yes.
2: And so they said, fine, I will go do it myself because I really need it. Uh, and, you know, whatever it was, a year later, six months later, two years later, the person shows up with this app that was suddenly having a problem. And now
0: has a user base as well.
2: Exactly. Um, you know, it's running the warehouse or something like that. <laughs> like, oh boy, wow. okay. And so, you know, we wanted to give that person a tool that they could work with, right? Um, and be be successful with. At, at the same time, make sure that when the pro dev got it, because something had gone wrong mm-hmm. or it had grown grown beyond what the person was capable of, you know, they were going to be able to deal with it. Um, and and not have to start over with that.
0: Some way, yeah. Don't we can manage not to rewrite. Exactly. We're in shape.
2: Yeah. As long as as long as fixing the problem didn't involve file new project, that was that's a good thing. Yeah.
3: Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what I find interesting about this whole situation now is that guy not only goes away and builds it himself, but he actually deploys it into the cloud. Like he never touches your infrastructure at all. Yep. And on an awful lot of problems that would typically happen for that app, because now he can scale it. It's living in Azure. Right right, and i actually I haven't even asked that question, but it's it's a a fair one to ask. Can I launch multiple web roles on a for a silverlight
2: app to scale it for a light switch app absolutely a light switch app sorry yep absolutely you you know we are our middle tier is a, is a stateless middle tier um so it it will behave just fine if you start ratcheting up the number of instances mm-hmm. um, to to deal with some some load or or scale that you need to um. Yeah, well, and I think that the other aspect of that that kinda you were hinting at, I think, with the, this customer going and deploying it directly into an Azure environment, they get the, the manageability of the environment and the supportability of the environment, um, or the, scale, the scalability, but they also get the fact that their app is not susceptible to the cleaning staff accidentally kicking over the PC right. under the desk That's that the it was running that on. That it right. happens to be running
0: on. Yeah, Exactly. That and that I think is huge, right? That I mean how how did we usually inherit an access app when it finally hit a number of users that it was tipping over and corrupting itself?
1: That'd be two. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Just a little bitter.
0: (laughs) As the number of users rose above one, we had scaling (laughs) issues. Uh but and here's one where really you know, you could scale this a long way. I I mean I'm feeling if you're running an IT group. And you've got biz devs running off building these things and and running them completely like you can lose control of an awful lot of software in a big way. And those guys aren't going to be thinking about security all that much and compliance all that much. Like there's going to be some interesting challenges here. Yep.
2: Yep. And that's why we we try to we try to look at as many of those those things as we can and figure out how we can just build that kind of capability into the product. So, right. you know, when we put up a light switch application into Azure, you know, we only allow access to it via, you know, SSL, right? Via HTTPS. Right. So, you know, not not the ultimate in in security, but we're at least making sure your data is not going across the wire yeah. in plain text, yeah. right? Which in reality some of these folks, they wouldn't necessarily know to do that. Right. Um, until something happens. So, you know, that's another thing we try to do.
1: Jay, what's the most requested feature that didn't make the first version?
2: Honestly, it's reporting
1: yeah. right now. Really? Yep.
2: Um, and and that's pretty much what it's been consistently. And, you know, next, it it's a pretty decent drop off to the next ones, actually. Yeah. Um, I think you have an, the next set probably end up being um, alternate device support, whether that's a specific technology stack that someone asks us for, like HTML5, or a specific kind of device like a Windows phone. I can kind of lump all those together into a very similar kind of request. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I'm, I, You know, getting back to the reporting thing, I just, I don't know, for me, maybe it's just because I know how to do it, but for me, it doesn't seem that difficult a problem to solve given SQL reporting server, uh, you know, reporting services and, and, a, and a website. Uh, you know, with the with the ASP.NET viewer or whatever it is, it just doesn't seem like that big a problem.
2: Problem for someone like myself to solve in Lightswitch, or for someone using Lightswitch well, to solve.
1: Um, somebody using Lightswitch.
2: I so I I certainly agree with it with with that. I mean, that's actually and that's part of what factored into us deciding not to do it in V1 was that we felt there were going to be ways that people could could accomplish what they needed to um if we didn't have it in the product. So whether that was using things like SQL reporting services um, and going directly against the data source to, to do your report and then kind of connecting it into the Light Switch app via just commands, you know, launch this right. launch this URL. Um, right. Or through our third party partners um, that have reporting solutions yeah. that could be plugged in. Um, but nonetheless it is still you know I think I think the fact that that request comes through still speaks to the fact that, our, you know, this audience does want a solution that it encompasses everything they care about, right? The right. Stuff
1: they want to push a button or go through yep. a wizard and have a report.
2: Yep. Uh, yeah. And some of it yep. could actually be the fact that they want, you know, that templated kind of experience they get for the UI. They want that for the report as well. And they don't want to have to go draw them all out themselves.
0: That's probably it. That's not a small amount of work for you, though. That's a big feature. That's a yeah. big feature for us. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. That's a tough one. Yep. Well, guys, I think we're about out of
1: time. Yeah, we are. Jay, well, this is awesome. Congratulations again.
2: Thank you, guys. It's been fun, as always.
1: We'd like to hear your feedback on our show, netrocks.com. Just uh, go to the show page and leave us a message. Leave Jay a message. Tell us what you think about Lightswitch and how are you using it and your successes, failures, wants, needs, likes, loves, all of that. And until then, we'll see you next time. On.NET ROCKS. .NET ROCKS is recorded and produced by PWOP Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. Got
3: transmitter band by the MC.